Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. All right. Uh... Okay. Uh, if you've been at Refuge for, for a length of time, you may uh, have remembered me talking about uh, two guys by the name of Ronald Heifetz and Martin Linsky. I've mentioned them before. If you're like, never heard of that, it's okay. I'm used to people, I'm used to saying things for years and people being like, I've never heard you talk about that. And uh, it's good. But, so I'm getting it out now so you don't, before you tune me out. Uh, they are both business professors at Harvard. They've written several books, um, and among their most popular book is a book called Leadership on the Line. And I, I, leadership books, in my, in my opinion, most leadership books are, let me tell you how I did it, and you should probably do it too. Uh, they're not like that. I think their leadership book is actually worthwhile. Um, and uh, they've written a number, one, a number of other things, and they, they identify two problems, two big types of problems that most organizations face, uh, that categorically, right? They have technical problems and then adaptive problems. And this may be more familiar with, to you. If, if I've talked about this in the past. Technical problems have technical solutions, right? They have solutions and they can be solved. So for example, if your car runs, if your car is low on gas, a technical solution to that would be fill up your car with gas. Very good or get a bike. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit more, like the technical solution can be a little bit more introductory with the possibility of, of further issues uh, going forward. I was thinking about this. When I started my time in the workforce, uh, we all had desktop computers, and like we knew very clearly when we were online and when we weren't online. And I, I remember a guy at my workplace being like, there's gonna come a day when you never know like if you're connected to the internet or not. I was like, but you, like, you have to hear the sound. How is that going to be? And now I feel so stupid for ever having said that. Um, but if your computer started going slow or the printer wasn't working or if something was happening with your computer and you called Tech Help, Tech Help had question number one through ten, and it was all the same question. And this is the only, this is the only thing they would tell you to do. Anybody remember? Turn off. Have you rebooted your computer yet? Don't call us until you've rebooted, rebooted your computer right? I haven't turned this thing, like this laptop, laptop off, I think since I've gotten it. I, I, don't, it's, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. That was always the first technical solution. Have you rebooted yet? Um, sometimes it can get a little invasive. The decision might be obvious, but difficult, right? Let's say, uh, let's say money is tight, right? Let's say you, you, you're, you're budgeting as best you can, but you constantly end up with more month at the end of the money and you, are, you just can't seem to make it work. Um, and then a friend calls and says, I found a great deal on Taylor Swift tickets for 1,200 bucks a piece, plus travel expenses. Now, the technical solution to that might seem obvious, right? What's the technical solution? Get a second job. <laughs> right. Um, I'm kidding. Although, I, I would, I, I'm, I, I would be go to a Taylor Swift concert in a heartbeat. I'm not paying for it, but I would love to go. Um, all right. 
Then you have, so those are technical problems. They have technical solutions. Then you have adaptive problems. Adaptive problems are way more complex. They're not as easy. There's really not a solution. Um, things like the economy, poverty, racism, relationships in general, the cardinals, right? Everyone has their opinion of how to solve the problem, and not everybody agrees with everybody else, but the problems are just, they're just way too complex for simple solutions, right? And adaptive leadership is mostly what Heifetz and Linsky talk about, and adaptive leadership says, how do we clearly define what the end goal is? What is our collective goal? Despite what everybody's opinions are on, on how to fix it, how to get there, let's define our collective goal. And then how do we live and walk in tension toward that goal? Okay? We may not all have the same solutions. And listen, this is hard. This is hard. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but lots of people have opinions. Right? And opinions are a lot like the Cardinal's bullpen. Sometimes they're good. And other times, they're just really hard to watch. The worst thing that you can do, the absolute worst thing that you can do, according to Heifetz and Linsky, is to try to solve an adaptive problem with a technical solution. You just need to. And how many times, especially in the Christian life, how many times do we try to solve complex, hard, nuanced problems? How do we grow in trust and how do we walk in our faith? We just need to pray more. Have you tried reading the Bible? Here it's pretty good. Right? So this morning, we're going to talk about living in harmony with one another. How Christians, how you just need to get along. Right? Nobody's laughing at that one. Okay. We've been going through the one another's over the summer. This is, these are our, our communal practices. Uh, the commands given by Jesus and the New Testament writers on how we are to live out this new kingdom of God that, he, that Jesus has ushered in, that we're, we're a part of this new kingdom. How do we walk and live and hope and trust and move forward in this kingdom of God? Um, and and how, did, how, does that, how does that work itself out? The main overarching command given over 27 times in the New Testament, how do we love one another as Christ has loved us? That's our ultimate call. And then Joel Waymack talked about welcoming and greeting one another, being hospitable, communing with one another. How do we, how do we welcome people into our lives? Uh, Jeremy Neville talked about encouragement and how do we encourage one another? And he gave great distinction between how do we just say good job and general encouragement to how do followers of Jesus fully encourage with the hope of the resurrection? And this, and this one day. Uh, and then last week, Jeremy Jacobs talked about how do we bear with one another, forgiving each other. And those, this last week and this week maybe could have been flipped, bearing with and living in harmony. Maybe we could have lived in harmony for a little bit, and then if it gets really bad, how do we bear with, right? Nevertheless, here we are. Today we're going to talk about how do we live in harmony with one another. And doesn't that just sound wonderful? Doesn't it? Like, that's, 
That's every person, every worldview, every, that's, that's every politician. That's the promise, right? But you know, guys, guys, can't we all just get along? You know? You know? And everybody says that. And here's the implication. Here's the implication. I can do it. What's wrong with all you people? Why can't we all just get along? Why can't you all come together and agree with me? Uh, Tim Keller used to joke about sometimes talking to his wife, and he would say to his wife, he's like, how come everybody doesn't get it like we do? And you know, sometimes I wonder about you. <laughs> it was a joke. We're in a radically individualistic culture. We are a people filled with pride, with insecurities, with fear, with hurts, with resentments. Mass marketing hashtags telling us over and over again who the biggest threat is that is going to ruin everybody's future. We're in a world filled with the, this idea that it's good people versus bad people, where we are always on the side of the good people. Uh, the ancient world was quite different. The ancient world was much more communal and tribal. And so peoples worked together because they had to. You had different nations, different groups of people that had to work together because, because you had to, it was a communal good. That was, if you were going to make it, you could not be individualistic. And Jesus came along and kind of messed with things because he brought this idea that he was the Messiah, not just the Jewish Messiah, mind you. I mean, everybody could have their own Messiah. The Babylonians had their own Messiah. Like, everybody had their hero, their rescuer, their king. Jesus came along with the audacity to say, I am the savior of the world. Jews and Gentiles. Rich and poor. Men and women. Barbarian and Greek. Cardinals fan and Cubs fan. How in the world are we supposed to fulfill this command to live in harmony with all of these differences? Even with Jesus in common, how in the world are we supposed to do that? So, three points today, and we'll hit them fairly quickly. The what, the how, and the what for. Okay? First, the what. Paul starts off in Romans 12, verse 4, and he says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So this is the beauty of what Jesus does. He hits both individualism and communalism and warns both and encourages both. It's pretty brilliant. All right. As followers of Jesus, this is critical. I, I think this is critical. And you may look at me and be like, eh, it's just semantics. Calm down a little bit. I think this is critical. As a pastor and when I see the tone of the American church, I think this is critical. There is nothing in the New Testament ever, 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 ever that says that we are to win the world for Jesus. It is not there. There's no record of this anywhere. In fact, Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus has already won. He accomplished what he set out to do when he walked out of the grave. What we are called to do and to be as the body, we are called to be the body of Christ. So the end goal for us individually 
is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And the end goal for us collectively and communally is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be the body of Jesus. One body, lots of parts. We are not out for social and political power. Those are kingdoms of man. We live as the body of Christ. We are called to bear faithfully with truth and grace the image of Jesus. And to do this, we all play different roles. We all play different parts. We're given different gifts, different passions, different voices, different personalities, different perspectives. And this is beautiful and difficult. Uh, my younger son, Knox. I got his permission before I talked about him today. He's 14, and uh, I'm not going to have him stand up because he's 14. <laughs> Here's the deal. I am pretty confident that this is my last year as the tallest member of my household. I think this is the last year of me being the tallest Herwig. Uh, we went to the doctor like a year and a half ago. And, uh, and she said, he was already like in the upper percentages of height, not height, height. Uh, and he was already in the upper percentages, and, he said, and she said, he hasn't really even started his growth spurt yet. So this is the year where we buy 10, 10 pairs of baseball cleats because they keep being too small. Um, and I don't know if you remember that time of your life. I try not to. It's like, it's like nightmares. But he's having to adapt that, to arms and learn how to swing a baseball bat and throw a baseball with arms that are going to be like five inches longer than they were last year. And he's going to have to run and jog and learn how to sprint with legs that just are like they keep getting longer and the knee joints are adjusting and the shin bones can be painful and the bones are like, we're getting there, stop running on us, you know, and like all this stuff. And everything is, is adjusting. And his body is growing like crazy and trying to figure all that out. It's difficult, right? Anybody else remember those hard days? Uh, in the body of Christ, we have differing gifts. We have people who are passionate about justice, loving people, caring for the outsider, the poor, the marginalized. We have people who are passionate about worship and glorifying God. We have people who are passionate about doctrine and learning and expounding on the truths of all that God has revealed. People that are passionate about evangelism and making known the goodness of God. Then we have people who are scientists. They see the incredible work of God in every microcosm of the universe. We have people who are engineers and are like their heavenly father when they can take like math problems with numbers and letters in some Excel spreadsheet and like build a road or a plane or a building out of that stuff or a computer or whatever those people do. We have people who are social workers who have a desperate want to help people thrive and contribute and feel loved and seen and secure while also working with the system and history of abuse and trauma. We have teachers, God bless you, who want children to feel loved and seen and protected while also having to provide discipline that nobody empowers them to actually provide while you also have parents yelling at you and want to blame teachers for everything and get irate about books in a library that their kid hasn't been to in five years. We have salesmen who give us 
deep and potentially rich understanding of the human mind and how it's drawn to people and products. We have tradesmen who I marvel at, who can actually cut straight with a table saw, who can pour smooth concrete, who can wire your house for AC, God bless you, or make sure your bathrooms are all flowing downhill. We have students who are learning and exploring, parents, volunteers, grandparents, single, married, divorced, married again. We have hurting, insecure, humble, mature, immature, racial, ethnic backgrounds, all experiences that flow out of those, economic diversity, every tribe, every tongue, all part of this body of Christ being conformed to the image of Jesus. How in the world? Not only that, no organization on the planet. There is no greater diverse organization on the planet. Anybody that says the church is homogenous is blind. And yet, Paul, all the New Testament writers live in harmony. Just, just get along, right? Oh, how? Good question. The how. Let's go there. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Heifetz <clears throat> uh, and Linsky talk about adaptive leadership and how to be an adaptive leader and how to help people walk and hold this tension. And I believe that that's critically important. Um, when a leader in the church fails to take this into account, that we live in an incredibly diverse world of followers of Jesus, not just world, but as followers of Jesus, it is also incredibly diverse. Listen, it's easy to rally the troops, right? It's easy to gather everybody that's like me, who agrees with me, and let's go and let's be against them. And, and you, don't need a, you don't need a political party to do that. Like every, we're all doing that in our own corners of the world. It's easy to, to hunker down in that. And I do believe that the body of Christ suffers greatly when we do that. And it has suffered greatly when we've done that. If we learn anything from Scripture, I mean, we learn a lot from Scripture. One of the things that we learn from Scripture is that the greatest threat to the people of God is the people of God. That's a recurrent theme, right? No other weapon formed against you shall prosper. But you guys do a pretty good job of prospering against yourselves. We, ourselves, okay? Uh, that said, who is the ultimate adaptive leader? Who is it who really keeps the true body of Christ walking in this tension with eyes focused on being conformed to the image of Jesus? It's not me. It's not a bishop or a pastor. It's not the gossiper. It's not the blogger. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever asked the question, if you've ever been confused, like what does the Holy Spirit do? This is what the Holy Spirit does. It works in us individually and collectively and fixes our eyes on the completed work of Jesus. Constantly reminds us, encourages us, pushes us, uh, molds us, pushes us to get off our big, stubborn, blessed assurance and move forward. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And there are practical ways and practices for us to be able to walk in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, living in harmony with one another. So here's some things that the New Testament would tell us to do in how to live in harmony. First, be humble. Paul says, don't be haughty, don't be prideful. And he also says here, don't think too highly of yourself. 
Don't think too highly of your own opinion. There's a lot of room here for self-examination. Be aware of your prejudices, your biases, your blind spots. Be aware of just how much you don't know. The goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It is not, it's hard for me, it is not just to be right. And that's hard for me because I'm pretty convinced I'm right most of the time. <laughs> the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Be humble. Second, be quick to listen. James 1.19 says to be slow to speak and quick to listen. This doesn't mean that you have to agree with, one, uh, with everyone. And listen, I get like, there's people sometimes are saying, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you, and then go on to say something hateful, right? That, that's not a get out of jail free card. But you don't, nobody can bully you into agreement. Don't let that happen. Don't be shamed into agreement. Hold your convictions firmly but humbly, but also strive to understand others and don't simply presume. We have a habit in our world, uh, I, I think this is human nature that, that social media has given a megaphone to, we tend to want grace and nuance and understanding for our position, right? Why are all the slow cars in front of me and all the fast cars behind me, right? If only everybody else knew that I was the center of the universe and could work hard to understand me. And then we quickly turn and, and like this is, you know, be kind to every, everybody is facing a battle you don't know, so be kind to everybody, you idiots. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of sometimes how it can come across. Um, and then we make quick snap judgments about other people, even fellow followers of Jesus who may disagree with us on certain things. A good practice to combat that. Um, I, again, I, I heard this from Keller. I'm not, I don't know that he's the one that came up with this, from Tim Keller. But he said, if you're in an argument with somebody, be able to explain their position so well that they agree with you. Learn their arguments so well that they would agree with you. We tend to be very presumptive, very quick, take shortcuts to get to, so we can make our point. Um, and especially when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, Let's not take shortcuts. Give differing opinions a charitable hearing. Try to gain understanding. And the next command, I think, is, is helpful in, in helping us see how to do that. Jesus will tell us in Matthew 7, deal first with the log in your own eye. Let me give you some great news. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus as Savior and submitted your life to him, you're forgiven. It's not about you being more moral. It's not like a license to go out and do whatever you want, but you are forgiven. To be a follower of Jesus means you're fully forgiven. Your sins are not held against you. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the completed work of Jesus, will actually use other people to help you see all of the logs in your own eye and help you deal with some of these hurts and wounds and insecurities and fears and coping mechanisms and to be able to actually lay these at the feet of Jesus. And then, theoretically, to actually be freed from those. So, we don't have to defend and blame shift and lash out at other people's and get, and get outraged about how bad everybody else is doing so that we don't have to deal with our own junk. We can actually deal with our own junk. And when we deal with our own junk, then 
we can see clearly to help our brother or sister with the speck of dust in their eye. That's the fullness of what that illustration is giving. Have you ever had something in your eye? Have you ever had like sawdust and, and somebody's had to help you get it out? And how do you want them coming at you? Right? You want them like, come on, I'm going to sit. Right? With long fingernails and maybe a little extra caffeine in the blood that day. Let me help you with your eye here. You, no, you, you're like, I'm good. I'll just lose it. It's fine. You want gentleness. You want patience. You want somebody coming in that's calm. When we deal with our own stuff first, it humbles us and helps us to see clearly so that we can do what is necessary to help move the situation forward. And then finally, if sometimes there's just plain disagreements and we're not going to see eye to eye. And, and there's a discernment there. We, we are not the saviors of people. We can't argue people into the kingdom. But sometimes there are disagreements where we have to say, hey, we both love Jesus and we're going to disagree on this. Um, how are we supposed to move forward on mission as the body of Christ there? Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives a shout out to two women in the church of Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche. And I have this vision in my mind. Like, I had this vision in my mind of Yodia and Syntyche going up to Paul, like, in heaven, and being like, dude, you wrote about us in the Bible. And Paul being like, I was, it was a letter to the church in Philippi. I thought I'd address your stuff. And they were like, right, now all of eternity, everybody sees about our argument. Thanks, Paul. Anyway, um, I have a theory on this. Philippi was a political hotbed. It was a Roman outpost, lots of cushy ex-military jobs, civil service jobs, uh, uh, government um, stuff, civil servants. And Yodi and Syntyche, probably both single, prominent businesswomen. And I wonder if their disagreements, I just have a theory, I think their, their, their disagreements were probably politically in, political in nature on how to live this out. And again, that's just a theory. Um, but they're significant enough to be causing a stir that Paul, when he is addressing the church at Philippi, filled with joy, but he does, he does kind of call them out. And then he says to them, he doesn't say uh, that one of them is wrong. He doesn't say just get along, but he says to them, agree in the Lord. We are so quick to go downward in our disagreements. Let's talk about all the things we disagree about. What Paul is saying is, go up. First, what do you have in common, sisters? You have Jesus in common. Hold first to that. Then work on your disagreements. Uh, there are some major disagreements. Every, every, week, um, every week at the end of our service, we, we recite the, the Apostles' Creed, something that holds the church together historically and, and universally around the world. And we say this, we say this every week. We started doing it during the pandemic because we were scattered and we weren't here. And so we would encourage people at home, sitting on your couch, let's say this together. This, this, this suitcase of our beliefs that we can unpack actually unifies us and brings us together. Listen, there are significant disagreements between Baptists, Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Anglicans, Presbyterian, on down the list, right? But you know what they all agree on? The Apostles' Creed. That's significant. That's significant. 
That's a couple thousand years worth of belief. Hold your convictions firmly but humbly. And when it comes to mission or disagreement with fellow follower of Jesus, remember what we first have in common is Jesus. So, we're not in this to win. Christ has won to the praise of his glorious grace. We don't have to be defensive and we don't have to be offensive. The gospel is offensive. You're a sinner and most people don't like hearing that. I'm a sinner, so deal with that first. Uh, We are bearing witness to the resurrection not to our own kingdoms, but to his kingdom. That's the end goal. Continue to be shaped and molded, conformed to the image of Jesus, both individually and, and communally. Uh, and we do, uh, we do proclaim through word and deed that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So I'm not just saying sit there and do nothing. I'm saying we don't have to be defensive. Um, and we don't have to try to like, argue people into things. We can simply proclaim Uh, And we proclaim that there is forgiveness of sins, that there's reconciliation with God and hope beyond this world. And we most definitely, we most definitely proclaim in word and deed, and the Holy Spirit does the work in us and through us as we bear with one another while striving to live in harmony with one another. And the work actually starts to to come together. So now, what for? What's all this for? Paul finishes this little paragraph here in verse six. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In prof- if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches, teach. The one who exhorts, exhort. The one who contributes, be generous. The one who leads, do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. We cheer each other on to do the thing that God has gifted you to do. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 talks about the danger of comparisonitis. Sometimes when people are gifted in areas that we're not gifted in, it can be easy to either discount the importance of what they're doing. Well, I know they're doing this, but what's really important is, or we feel shame. I should probably be more like them. They're really evangelistic. I I should probably be more evangelistic. When your call is to serve, your gift is to to serve. We can cheer each other on. Um, In Christ, we can be freed from the shame of comparisonitis, and we can grow in confidence of how God has gifted you, and then start doing that. We become a huge fan of how others are gifted and and become their biggest cheerleader. We don't. There's a thing in our world today where we feel the need to tear somebody else down to lift ourselves up, and I'm I'm guilty. I'm guilty, right? Women are strong, men are idiots, right? And I, like, can we get, like, women are strong. Men, there's some dumb stuff you've done. Let's get on board here and let's, let, like, let's lift each other up and not have to tear somebody else down uh, to lift each other up. Um, and become our biggest cheerleaders in the effort and, and uh, yeah, move each other forward. We have... In Acts chapter 2, there's like six verses at the end of Acts chapter 2 where we see this is like the Garden of Eden for the church. It's beautiful. They're studying the apostles' teaching. They're doing life together. They're sharing meals together. They're with each other daily in the temple. They're gathering in each other's homes. They're seeing miracles performed. They're giving so that nobody has need. They're taking care of each other. And it's beautiful. And we have like six whole verses of the church being beautiful. And then like all of a sudden a committee is formed and things just start going downhill. 
right? The New Testament is written because things started going downhill. And Paul's got like, no, all right, Church Corinth, calm down, calm down, calm down. Ephesus, let's, okay, let's, let's bring that up just a little bit. Uh, and, <clears throat> but, we, but we have this glimpse, we have a foretaste, and we step back, and we can see what the church has actually accomplished. And if you look historically, listen, the church has her blemishes. She has been wretched at times, for sure. She's been abused, she's been manipulated, she's been used for power. Every religion can be manipulated. Uh, another Tim Keller, he said when his son, uh, he realized that everything in the world can be manipulated when one of his sons took the Bible and hit his other kid with it. <laughs> the church has had some dark days when it's been used for power, political gain. She's been used to wage war and not as a maker of peace. That's all there, but, but we, have to, we, have to, we can't be blind to what she has accomplished. And we have glimpses people serving and loving and teaching and encouraging and giving generously to help meet the needs of others. We have glimpses of harmony. It's beautiful. There's a picture of one day when Christ has completely washed over his bride to present her beautiful without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. That's where we're headed. And it feels like there's a lot of washing to do but he who began a good work in you and in us is faithful to complete it. So this morning, if only for a second, with all of our differences, all of our struggles, hidden battles, different positions that we take, all of our glorious messes, uh, this morning we're going to sing. Okay? Um, now, I'm gonna, we're going to do a song from my days as a, as a teenager. But I think it's known enough. Please... Lord, have mercy, make it be known enough that there's enough of us to, that know it to sing. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. You guys, that's right, that's common enough. Okay, good, good, good. Um, and uh, I'm going to count on your musical prowess. And if you don't know the song, just, just sit and take it in. Sit and listen. But if you do know, some of you, and I hear you every week, some of you can sing beautiful harmonies. All right, so I'm going to count on you to do that. Um, and we're going to take this in. Uh, uh, yeah, so it may take you uh, some years back, but I think the, the, the lyrics are beautiful. And let's just sit and listen to this flow. And I'm gonna, we're going to pray that I get the right key. All right? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to church. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, at times we are a mess, and I have to confess, like, I think the only reason, the only possible way the church still exists is because you love her. 
and she's yours. You have called us and you have equipped us through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in harmony with one another. This doesn't mean forfeit all of our convictions, but it does mean that we hold them humbly. It does mean that we prize becoming more like Jesus than we do our personal agendas. And that's hard. But in doing that, in walking humbly, you actually continue to shape us and strengthen our hope and trust in you and solidify convictions that we really do need to hold on to. So I pray that you would continue to work in us, not just refuge, but churches in St. Charles, churches that we may think we have insurmountable differences with, fellow believers that we may think that we just can't see eye to eye. Help us to pray for one another, to love one another, and give us the humility, bearing witness to the beautiful image of Jesus to walk in harmony with one another. Different strands, different notes, but the same song. Thank you for the glimpse of hope that you have given us. One day we will be washed and made new. That's our hope. That's our future. That's our certainty. So may we walk with that in mind. And may you continue to wash over your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.